0: you are listening to the mythical jesus podcast taking the christ of faith seriously a podcast that dives into faith development cognitive development using jesus as the framework for that we dive deep into the jesus of the new testament showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like buckle your seatbelts sit back enjoy the ride this is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the jesus narrative has never been done like this before you can visit our website at christoffaith.org on the site you will find tools resources documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand jesus the teacher and his role in that and now on to what you've been waiting to hear Come thou fount of every blessing. Welcome to another episode of the Christ of Faith podcast. I'm your host, Bill Reel. Grateful for this chance to have you uh, here today to listen. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you're enjoying what we're doing, and I hope you like looking at the Jesus narrative in a new way. Uh, This is quite a fun project for me. I'm really enjoying it. These are things I've thought about for a long, long time and and I'll just share with you as as we get further into the podcast, I'll try to be a little more open about my personal journey, but I always am want, wanting to be careful of that because I don't want my experience specifically to to cloud the experience you're having uh, with this podcast. Uh, but generally speaking, I hope to kind of at least give you a little bit more. Of me and my journey generally. I'm enjoying this because I come from a a high demand fundamentalist religion. And in my having woken up to this development that we've been speaking about now for the first 14 episodes, as I've woken up to that development, it has prompted me to deconstruct the community that I've come from. And as I've deconstructed that community, that culture, that history, that theology, that doctrine, uh, it it has pushed me into all the aspects that we've been speaking of, inner authority and, and nuanced thinking rather than a binary paradigm. And what happens is when you deconstruct the tribe that you come from, the tribe tends to look down on you as having fallen away or having become broken or less than. And one of the things this podcast has given me the the ability to do is to say, like, you can claim I've lost something and yet here I am diving into the Jesus story, I think in complex ways and ways that feel like growth and uh, enlightenment and uh, education and learning and progress, and people can knock that for what it's worth. I'm not saying that others are not having that experience. Simply that we ought to recognize in every human's journey that if they're interested in in growth and progress, they almost always certainly do grow and progress by learning new things, by grabbing onto new concepts, by moving into these developmental stages. And so, again, I don't say that arrogantly. I say it because my tribe looks down on me. And out in the public arena, um, I get criticism because of the things that I say and think about the deconstruction of my tribe. Um, But in the midst of, of that, this has been an outlet to say, like, no, I'm still engaged. I'm still wanting... to to grab on to new concepts and to learn and to be thinking about and exploring spiritual things. Today we're going to be diving into Mark chapter 3. We just finished up Mark chapter 2 in episode 14, and so here we are in chapter uh, 3 of Mark. And this story is so interesting uh, for a lot of reasons, and I hope you felt that way about most of the episodes, if not all of them uh, thus far. But in Mark chapter 3 it says Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. So there's a recognition here that Jesus is going into the synagogue often. He's a Jew. And we like in Christianity to say like Jesus is the first Christian, but in some ways we if we wrestle with the historical data, we come to understand that Jesus was entirely a Jew, a Jew who held Uh, some outsider beliefs and belonged to some uh, groups that would have found themselves on the Jewish margins. And so in a lot of ways, he's very different from the Orthodox Jew, but he is a Jew nonetheless. At least he would claim that if we could walk up to Jesus in his mortality and say, what are you? And he would, he would say he's a Jew. That would be one of the things he would claim. Um, so he goes into the synagogue again, and he notices a man with a deformed hand. So there's a man with uh, something wrong, either either because of an accident or because of from birth. This man has a hand that has a deformity. And it says in verse two, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus's enemies watched him closely. And you already know what's happening because we all have hindsight. We know the Jesus story, and we're looking back in time Knowing how these things go, because we've had these stories told to us over and over again, and many of the Jesus stories are very similar. And so there's a theme here, which is that Jesus sees someone who needs his uh, healing, and those in the synagogue or those in the in the presence of Jesus perceive that he's about to uh, perform that healing on the Sabbath, and that would break the law according to the Pharisees. So even though healing somebody is a positive thing, the Pharisees also consider it work. Uh, so they're going to watch him closely. And we know how this goes. If It says, if he healed the man's hand, they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So they're setting him up. Uh, but Jesus never falls for this stuff, right? He always has some angle, some intelligent way of working through the problem in a way that even though these guys think they have Jesus painted in a corner by the time they're done, Jesus has them painted in a corner. So Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So here's this man with a deformed hand who's being called to stand up in front of everyone in the synagogue, including the Pharisees who are wanting to catch Jesus in the act of performing work, regardless of how righteous that work is. So picture yourself first for the man who's got the deformed hand and recognize that uh, Jesus seems to be a magnet for people who have ailments or who are hurting in some way. And sometimes it's Jesus seeking them out, and sometimes it's them seeking Jesus out. And it had me thinking, I I recently came across, there's this new movie out about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. Um, I grew up with Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was one of my favorite TV shows as a young child. And one of the things I've thought about all through my life is how good and wholesome Fred Rogers appeared on the show. And as I grew up and became aware of how messy this world is, I at times would think to myself, like who's the most pure soul I know. And Fred Rogers is at the top of that list. And I, I think to myself, but that had to have been just a persona. Could, could he really be that good? And as I've taken time to go read about Fred Rogers and don't, again, there's also rumors out there that don't have any factual basis You can uh, look things up on like Snopes and other places, and see that some of that stuff just isn't true. When you take just the facts, Fred Rogers is just as good and whole as he portrayed on the show *Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood*. Mr. Rogers, uh, when he was a young kid, so he's he's, you know he's with his family, his mother specifically. um, He talks about how he would see all this horrible news. Um, he talked about things like war and terrorists and abuse and murders and fires and hurricanes and earthquakes and all the, the awfulness that's in the world. When he would see all these horrible, atrocious things on the news, um, he would go to his mother, scared about the things he was seeing. And his mother said to him, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Um, and Fred took that to heart, like, let let me be a helper. And What The reason I started this podcast and the reason I've done other podcasts, uh, specifically dealing at times with the nature of my high-demand fundamentalist religion that I came from, is to to be a beacon of light. I don't mean beacon of light like, hey, I'm so awesome. No, but a beacon of light like, hey, people are having a really rough time when they deconstruct their religious narrative. When people take apart their faith, everything feels very shaky. Everything feels very vulnerable. Everything feels very scary. And I don't want people to feel alone on this journey. I don't want people to be by themselves. I don't want people to look around their congregation or look around their family or look around their circle of friends and not have anyone who's able to hold this space, this conversation with them. And so I've done podcast in the past. And I do this podcast now as a beacon to those who are on this developmental journey, but who know not where to turn for validation, who know not where to turn for the tools and resources to move along this path. And so Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, his mother said, look for the helpers. And Fred lived out his entire life being one of those helpers. Now back to Mark 3, Jesus is one of those helpers. He's the person in the room who's prepared to hold space for the trauma of the spiritual journey. And while others stand ready to judge and to condemn, Jesus stands ready to hold a hand and to put an arm around And so when you go through life, you look for the helpers, look for the people who have empathy and compassion and compassion is a trait one holds when and only when they understand the complexity of life and the diversity of life. It's only when you can value the diversity of human, uh, human nature, and humanity and human life that you can begin to have compassion for those whose path is different right like it's not like just agreeing with those or holding space for those who are just like you compassion involves you holding space for those who are different than you. so jesus is one of those helpers and so when when jesus is in the synagogue on the sabbath jesus seems to be looking for those who are marginalized those who are who are different and and we ought to have that same makeup that Jesus has like we ought to be looking for the person in the room who feels alone the person in the room who says like i don't fit in the person in the room who says i'm scared and i don't know who to talk to all the, and they don't even know how to test the waters of of who is safe and who isn't. They don't even know how to um, begin to grasp, like, is if I open up to this person, if I share my trauma with this person, are they going to judge me? Are they going to exclude me further? Are they going to marginalize me more? And so we, as the helpers, have to find those who are hurting and don't know who to turn to. And we have to find a way to sit next to them and to hold space for their diversity, for their trauma, for the things that cause them not to fit in our tribe cleanly. And we ought not to expect the religious authorities to do that. If you have a religious tribe where your religious authorities are doing that genuinely, then God bless you for having a healthy church that you belong to. But that's not the reality for most. For most, there are lines in the sand, there are boundaries, there are rules. And if one doesn't fit, if one doesn't walk and talk and look like a member of that tribe, that person is going to be marginalized. And very rare, and you'll find often the religious authorities give permission for that kind of boundary maintenance. And so rarely, Do you find a tribe that says, like, come as you are, truly come as you are, and we're not going to draw lines in the sand, and we're going to make an effort, rather than saying, like, hey, we're the authorities, we're going to draw the lines, and we know God's will, and your job is to adhere to it, regardless of how soft that message is. The reality is that most tribes operate that way. And so if your tribe says, like, look, we'll worry about the rules later, we'll worry about the boundaries later because we are also trying to figure this out. We don't know for sure exactly how God feels about these things. And we can see that we as humans have misunderstood God so much, at least enough to question our own absolutism, our own certainty on these matters. And so we just want to hold space for those who are different. That is so valuable. Um, I, I want to close out this episode there because the next episode is going to dive further into the story. Uh, But let's at least set it up. And in the next episode, we'll revisit this because there's more to the story. Uh, But I don't want to do that today. So today I simply want to introduce the story. Jesus goes into the synagogue and he sees the man with a deformed hand. And his interaction with that man is so loving and empathetic and compassionate it's not like he sees the deformed hand from a distance. We know that the interaction is intimate enough that the Pharisees go, uh-oh, here he goes again. Here he goes again. He's going to perform some work on the Sabbath, and he's going to break the rules, and we cannot have this man uh, being... We're the authorities to to this tribe. We cannot have this man... Uh, Causing fracture with that. We can't have him looking wiser. We can't have him performing healings that we can't perform. We can't have him giving advice that we don't know to give. They're threatened. These men are threatened. That's what they are. And so, if we recognize that Jesus sees the marginalized and he gives them the attention that the tribal leaders are not, and that these men feel threatened by Jesus. When we come back next time, we'll talk about how Jesus handles this situation. And I think it speaks enormously to things we could learn about Jesus that we never, never grasped before. Until next time, this is the Mythical Jesus podcast at Christoffaith.org. Thank you. And remember, be one of the helpers. So long.